And I'm sitting there going, well, I wonder if I have a job. I wonder what the big announcement's going to be today. And the um, the CEO at the time, what was it Mark Duffel? I can't remember. Said, uh, yes, and we're all going to be building this new ICE 3 thing on, on uh, you know, all the stuff I was doing. And everybody around the table, hey, congratulations, Bart. Why didn't you tell me? And I said, I didn't know. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode five of the Epic Users podcast. Um, today I'm flying solo because my co-host Brian is actually on vacation. So we're allowing him to take the day off. So you are stuck with uh, just me. Um, a couple of things to cover this week and then a fun interview that hopefully everybody will enjoy. Um, the first thing I wanted to cover is the, the confusion that has been going out there for a few weeks now since Insights about whether or not Epicor is going to force everybody to go to the cloud come 2024. And I think that was just a misconception that somebody heard um, when they were talking about the timeline to move everybody to the Kinetic UI. Um, as far as I know, and I actually have uh, asked several executives at Epicor, um, there is no plans to force everybody to go to the cloud by 2024, right? Uh, Lisa Pope did an interview last week um, on DG No America magazine, where she explicitly spoke about the flexibility of running things on premise and how Epicor uh, supports both modes. Um, we're going to put a link to that on the show notes so you can see it. Uh, we've also spoken to Stephen Edgington and we've spoken to a couple of other people at Epicor and they all say at the moment uh, there don't appear any be any plans for that. Now that could possibly change in the future, but at the moment that doesn't appear to be the case. And frankly, from a user perspective, I don't see that happening anytime soon. They have a ton of accounts that are run on premise. Um, you know, we pay maintenance, we we move forward. So eventually we will probably all end up on the cloud at some point, I imagine longer timeline, maybe 10 years on the road. That would make sense for most people. But you have people that have compliance issues. You have people that have applications that are, that are uh, legacy application things that will not work with something like a cloud system. You have a bunch of security issues. Uh, I don't feel comfortable yet running my ERP, all my data in the cloud uh, out in the WAN. Um, so I feel like, you know, that kind of needs to be put to bed. I don't think that's happening anytime soon. And, and, I, and we've gotten corroboration from several people um, that that isn't the case. So hopefully that clears that up. I know that that kind of made some people freak out a little bit, but uh, hopefully that, that helps. Um, another topic I wanted to cover uh, kind of briefly today, and maybe we'll do a, a more in-depth dive later on in, an, in, a, in a future episode, uh, was something that I ran into this week that consumed the greater part of my week. Um, and that is a little feature called parameter sniffing. Um, and that's a feature of SQL, and it sounds uh, kind of like a silly name, but uh, basically what it comes down to is uh, as you run queries in SQL, you run your select statements and things like that, SQL kind of learns from your behavior patterns uh, and creates execution plans. And these execution plans are basically uh, used to run that query more efficiently the next time. You can think of it almost like a cache. So if you always run a query the same way with the same set number of parameters, eventually uh, SQL takes notice of that and says, hey, you know, usually when Jose runs the Z customer one query, he passes in a parameter that says that he wants to use company two. So SQL creates a plan with the company two already embedded in it and uses that to run that query in the future, just kind of as a plan ahead. Think of it as a, you know, kind of an AI, kind of auto-suggestion that SQL does for you that says, hey, I know that you usually run this query with this filter on, so I'm gonna go ahead and do that filter for you and store it in the plan. That is generally a good thing. That is generally something we want our, uh, our database engines to do. But we ran into an issue last week where we were heavily testing a, a fairly complex uh, query that was uh, based on parameters or that had a lot of parameters in. Um, and I kept running the query and several other people that were testing the query kept running the query. And after a little bit, that query started taking longer and longer and longer to execute up to the point that I could run the query myself in four seconds and a coworker could run the same query in 17 minutes. So dug into it for a, quite a while, did a lot of investigations, tried to change the query around a little bit, tried to add indexes, tried to update statistics, nothing was making a difference. 
Uh, I ended up going out to uh, Brent Ozark, who's a, a SQL guru type person who, who has a very uh, informative Slack community and put out there my plans and had a bunch of people look at them. And it came down to parameter sniffing. So what happens is that whenever you run a BAQ in Epicor, Epicor actually wraps the entire BAQ and executes it using a procedure in SQL called SP execute SQL. And that's basically a dynamic SQL invocation. That's what allows us to drag a whole bunch of boxes around and create a, a workable BAQ that eventually turns into SQL. But that SQL is not natively run uh, in the server. Instead, what Epicor does is it wraps it in a string and executes it via the SP execute procedure uh, in SQL. That means, though, that any parameters or filters that you passed in, Epicor automatically makes a parameter um, in that execution. And so what happens is, as you run these queries over and over again, your SQL box will start take notice of those parameters. And if you, like me, run the same set of parameters all the time, you may end up yourself in a situation where, where the plan that SQL has chosen to execute your query works really well for two or three parameters, very specific parameters. But if you try to execute that query with any other parameter, um, the query will crater and it will just take a long time to run. So anyways, that was a, a lot of investigating. And what I ended up having to do was actually go through and rewrite the way that query was written. And I had to include a query hint in there that that told SQL to stop trying to guess what my parameters are going to be. So there's a query hint that you can put in there. It's called option optimize for unknown. And if you put that query hint in your uh, SQL uh, query, what SQL will do is it will try to start stop guessing the parameters and it will just assume that you don't know what the parameter is and it will generate the best plan it can based on that. Uh, obviously, there is no easy way in the current release of Epicor that I'm on. There's no easy way to put in those um, query hints. There's a couple of hacky ways to do it. But I do know that in the next release of Epicor, uh, 2022.2 or 0.3, they are going to include the, the option hint as an option that's built in natively to Epicor. So you can uh, add those hints directly on your BAQ, and that will save you from those parameter sniffing problems. But keep that in mind, if you're seeing a query that is behaving oddly, particularly a query that works really well most of the time and then other people have problems with, um, remember the parameter sniffing concept and, and do some digging because you might, you might find yourself in a situation that, that's fairly easy to fix, uh, but takes a long time to investigate. All right, and up next we have uh, Bart Elia, who has uh, very graciously uh, agreed to appear on the uh, on the podcast with us to give us a little update on what he's been up to and uh, a little history lesson. So, welcome, Bart. How's it going? Yeah, good to see you. It's been a couple of years, no insights, and there's that little that little <laughs> ep epidemic thing, and but uh, it's uh, kind of interesting to see your face because we chat, you know, from time to time in Messenger, uh, different messengers or whatever. But uh, it's kind of fun to to see a face, you know, yes, there wasn't a lot a of, minute. there wasn't a lot of faces being seen there for a couple of years. So it's kind of cool. No kidding. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, I went to, to insights the, the first time after the, after the pandemic, yeah. quote unquote, last year. And, and it was pretty sad, <laughs> sad little insights. Um, this year was much better. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a minute. So how are you? Give us a, give us a little update on you. So, so you left Epicor, what, two, three years two ago? Two years ago, two years, uh, March. Yep. Um, I mean, and it's kind of funny. We're talking about you know, seeing people face to face, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I'm showing the gray hair yet, but, you know, I got, the, I got, the, you know, the two kids are adults. They're on their own careers. Uh, uh, my son was working at Sage and he moved over to New Desic, or excuse me, um, New New Relic. Um, and, you know, my daughter's uh, went from a data analyst to uh, now she's a uh, scrum master PO. And now she's a product manager at, uh, you know, big investment firm. Um, and so, uh, five grandkids and all this kind of things. And I was like, I was helping, helping them grow up and then get into their careers and, and, you know, mentoring them kind of thing. And, um, you know, and then of course, you know, they're both geeks and they married geeks. Um, and my wife's an ex geek. So big geeky family. And we kind of, I think it's like gravity. They, you know, all the geeks attract. Um, but, uh, so, you know, mentoring all these kids growing up and now they're all 30 somethings heading towards 40. And, um, you know, I kind of missed that kind of face to face and dealing with human beings, which is one of the reasons that, you know, I started looking around at, uh, you know, great people that I worked with at Epicor 
fantastic. Uh, loved working with um, some of the folks that were here in, in the Portland area and the, and the PAC Northwest and um, great team down in Mexico. I had a blast working with them. Uh, group in Moscow, uh, ignore the politics of the last year. Um, good people in India. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, I kind of missed seeing people. And that was kind of when, you know, I took a phone call and, Oh, Bart, we want to cloud enable, you know, moving to a cloud enablement. Uh, uh, you know, I was thinking maybe maybe a startup or something and, you know, some little little five billion dollar company calls and says, yeah, we want you to, you know, take our flagship and, you know, move it to the cloud and help us with Azure and kind of hard to turn that down. Um, and right here in Portland and hey, you know, I can, you know, see human beings mile down the road and jump onto the, uh, you know, the Intel uh, light rail and take it to the back door of the building downtown. And it was great. Six days. I got to see humans. And then. So. <laughs> I can yeah, imagine was, that was It was kind of like, what happened? <laughs> so. Yeah, we're here Where go. did everybody so, go? Uh, yeah. After five years remote, remote as Epicor and uh, went back into an office for six days. And now I've been remote for a couple of years. And they said, hey, this is working better than having people in big offices with no cubicles and, you know, sharing germs all day long with each other. That may be a concern these days. Um, so they closed down the local office here and put it, let everybody work from home. Sounds like Epicor all over again. So I'm right back where I started. But it's been fun ride. It's been a fun ride. So. It sounds like it. So what, what does your um, company do, if you don't mind me asking? Of all the things in the last couple of years that may be important, um, services to help uh, hospital staff um, from uh, from um, oh, wow. trying to say, hey, we, um, we need to place uh, um, a nurse in uh, an emergency room um, for, you know, whatever needs we have or backfilling something for, um, um, you know, allergy season or oh by the way um we need to rent out chicago uh bear stadium and uh, uh inject a whole bunch of people with a vaccine um and uh, can you you know supply a few hundred nurses um let alone how do you get um how do you get uh, 500 people on planes and move them to help out a hospital uh moving from um around the country a large hospital chain needs to try to get 500 staff in a location due to the you know covid uh, scenario uh, and we needed to provide services to them um they don't know how to get them on planes or in buses and get them fed and get them hotel rooms or or stuff um, and so we do a lot of support for that and i'm learning a lot about how insanely complex the whole credentialing and legal aspects is in this industry, um, and how do you how does a hospital, um, you know, manage that that credentialing and stuff uh, makes M MRP look like a breeze, um, um, but then other stuff it's been um, um, doctor needs to oh Sounds yeah like MRP uh, on but in this case really kind of literally <laughs> the medical scenario. Uh, but other stuff too. It's like uh, trying to make right. hospitals more efficient. Uh, a doctor needs to um, uh, have a translator because their patient speaks Vietnamese and they don't. Um, and in a COVID scenario, you don't have the extended family able to sit in the ICU with you to have a chat. Um, so you know, hit a button on your iPad and pop up a you know pop up a translator, um, and the, they'll do the translation between them. Just lots and lots of different services that are all around trying to help out hospitals and health delivery organizations. So it's um, it's been an interesting journey that whole last two years of of uh, learning a new business domain, trying to get all the the move to the cloud stuff going on, uh, everybody going to remote. Um, yeah, so it's, it's been an interesting journey, so. I guess we'll forgive you for leaving Epic or Sincere where they're helping helping the pandemic. Yeah, we've had that we've had that else. chat so about we'll, we'll let us pro uh, vaccine or anti vaccine and all the insanity. So it's been a, it's been an interesting couple of years. Yeah, no, we'll, <laughs> we'll let it slide since you since your company has been helping out. Fine, fine. So let's go back a little bit. So 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 can you tell us a little bit about how you got started oh. in this whole ERP business and 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 how you get started Epic or you were Epic years. Or what twenty 19 years? Nineteen years and nineteen years four months. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, it was kind of interesting. You, you, you asked me about that and looking back to the history stuff. Um, there's my personal journey, but then there's, you know, probably more relevant would be the, you know, the, the, 
lead up to ERP 10 and .NET and cloud and everything, which is probably more interesting to folks. Um, but it kind of starts with my kind of career at Epicor. Um, I had gone through three dot bombs in a row. Uh, this is 99, 2000. Um, you know, big, uh, big uh, consulting firm, 3,500 people kind of thing, and little 500 person projects for little, you know, state run organizations. Um, and um, said, yeah, let's try a startup. And that one blew up from underneath me and tried the next one and blew up and another one blew up. And, um, and uh, Epicor sitting there saying, hey, you know, we have this thing uh, we want to work on. And this is back when Epicor was flat. This is back when uh, we had, you know, clientele, which is what I got hired into, and Platinum Financials and DataWorks and InfoWorks. Um, I can't remember who else was around back then. Um, but let's, let's merge them together as a single company and get them on a single common platform. The original ICE, remember the, was it Internet Component Environment or whatever it was? I got hired on as part of that process, um, and um, that's what ended up being uh, E for SE eventually. Um, and uh, somewhere along the lines, uh, 2001, uh, May 2001 was kind of a bad uh, economy um, for um, everybody in the industry because of the whole dot bomb blow up in 2001. So Epicor definitely went through that. So we went to visualized. So we went back. Epicor, you do your CRM and help desk thing, and uh, and um, you know the E for SC guys went off to do the you know the um, um, the management aspect. Um, can't remember what they called it, PRM, whatever it stood for. I can't remember. Partner relationship management. I don't remember. Um, project relationship management. I don't remember. It was it was a large company support, and um, you know Vantage kept on doing their thing. Um, yeah, it was back in the Vantage six days. And Epicor, or clientele, uh, Epicor did, um, you know, did that kind of split. So we all kind of specialized for a couple of years. Uh, clientele went off. We were successful. Um, got, you know, E-Week product of the year. That was a, it was a great flag. Like, I still have the pyramid around here somewhere. Um, you know, great award. Um, and uh, E4SE came out. Uh, it had a lot of great technology. But it was interesting because, and this is one of the big struggles that I think the industry has. Clientele had their model, what they needed to solve. Um, it was really a rapid application development environment, kind of help desk, uh, very uh, toolkit centric. Now you think about BPM or, um, you know, BAQs and functions and stuff like this. This is back in, you know, we started writing this stuff, you know, uh, ICE and, and E4SE and, and clientele on, you know, this was C Sharp and .NET beta. I mean, we started writing production code on beta one. <laughs> Um, so really early days, and clientele was really successful. E4SC came, came out really challenging a lot of distributed model computing, which is really cool. Um, and then uh, Vantage is sitting here on Vantage 6 and saying, you know, what are we going to do? You know, they looked at the, the products and, well, we can tackle the server side, uh, you know, progress and 4GL and all that stuff. We can tackle the client side. They went client side first, so they took the clientele model, um, made it a hell of a lot better because they had like three times the staff. It kind of helps to have more bodies on a project. Um, so they did a lot of great things and um, came out with, you know, Vantage 8. Um, and uh, then the evolution into Epicor 9. Um, and during that time frame, I had moved out of clientele and we started the, the research and development group. Um, Epicor was looking at a huge merger at the time that fell apart, never happened. But we wanted to form an R&D group to start working with that that merger. And, um, you know, that's where Eric Johnson was in charge of that, if you remember Eric, uh, chief architect. Um, yes. And we were trying to figure out, you know, what would this next generation architecture be? And so we had a lot of stuff, a lot of Greenfield stuff. I think he called it Green Day or Greenfield or something. I can't remember what his project name was. Uh, and we were playing around with different ideas and whatever. And then I was doing stuff like... Um, uh, early Epicor data aggregator, I think they called it, which ended up being like BAQs. Um, and, um, okay. you know, we did the, the Epicor portal uh, for a while there and um, information worker came along and I listened to a uh, chat with Tim Shoemaker about, you know, how does Epicor go ahead and come up with ideas? Um, and it was interesting for me because back then we did a lot of these um, yearly or bi-yearly uh, executive briefing councils or EBCs with um, the Epicor execs and Microsoft execs. And we did it with other companies too, but Microsoft was the bigger thing. Um, 
you know, they say, hey, these are the new cool things coming along. And I'd come back from that or they, uh, our execs would come back from that and say, hey, Bart, you know, technology foo, you know, what would you do with it? You know, spend a week or two coming up with proposals, maybe right. do some proof of concept spikes and kind of show them off what it would be useful for and, you know, make a pitch. And it'd be lots of times, oh, okay, that's nice. Other times it'd be, hey, um, that sounds cool. Why don't you go ahead and, you know, build a team, go deliver that. And that was like information forker, for example. Hey, Bart, go hire, you know, half a dozen people. Let's build a project, a product. Let's get it to market. And I played, you know, architect and, and, um, dev manager over it and then bring it to market and groom the people behind me. And you, you probably know some of the personalities behind me that you work with still today. Um, and, um, they take over and, and take it to market and, and babysit it for, and, for a while and I'd go back, lather, rinse, and repeat on the next project. Um, during one of those, um, uh, we were in Moscow visiting the team over there and uh, um, one of the conversations came up about how, you know, Epicor 9 being built on progress, I mean, there were some scale problems and I'm not trying to denigrate progress in 4GL or whatever, um, fine stack for an embedded database and whatever. But if you're looking at a distributed system, if you're looking at really super scale and looking at, we wanted to go more towards cloud, it just wasn't going to work on that side, on the technical side. The business relationship wasn't fantastic on the business relationship side. They're not a company like uh, Microsoft that can go ahead and support a business like we wanted to grow. Um, and then quite honestly, let's throw some financials in here. Let's cut through the, the tech and the, whatever, but if you look at Wall Street, and this is back when Epicor was a public company, you look at Wall Street and they're looking at the valuation of how how much is Epicor worth? Um, and they're saying, oh, you guys' flagship product is built on progress. What's progress? Right. What's progress? Um, <laughs> um, and exactly. so there's a risk management as an executive. You have to put on that risk management hat and say, are we building with the right partners? And it's not a denigration of progress or 4GL or anything. It's just a reality that if if you're going to decide to you know take a partner like that, you got to make sure you have a trusted partner. And that was something that's a very serious chat. Um, but this this kind of stuff is just normal in the industry. Uh, and we had a lot. Of, I mean, we had a lot of good people back then in Epicor, and we still do. As far as you, know, you still do, as far as I, I'm concerned, as far as I'm concerned that. Um, you know, they, they think through this stuff and they're trying to do the right thing. So we uh, had uh, a meeting over in Moscow and certain uh, VPs and chief architects and myself were sitting around and they just came out with this newfangled thing uh, that we were in the adoption program and preview design review of uh, this newfangled thing, Entity Framework and WCF and um, God, what else? You know, WW, uh, the workflow engine and and whatever. And um, I was like, you know, looking at Link and looking at 4GL, it's not that bad. A lot of the patterns are similar. And, you know, I turned to the VPS, it can't be that hard to do. And that was, that, that was oh, my boy. next 12 years <laughs> right there. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> words but, you oh, will it, live it, to regret. It was regret on one side, but it was a blast. It was, it was, it was, it was, it, yeah. and, um, oh, I'm sure know, it was. And no, it wasn't the vodka involved that made that this that commentary. Um, but yeah, it was. That's where it came from. Is we just said, you know, it's not that different. And then Eric and I started working on that for the next couple of years. What would a new architecture look like? Um, although it was kind of funny, we did the POC and we were showing some people some performance numbers. Um, and it wasn't just us. There was a couple others that helped out part time uh, because I was no 4GL expert by any means. Um, and so, you know, we did the POC and it kind of went dark for six weeks. And I'm like, what's happening? And I was like, maybe I should start listening to phone calls on recruiters or something. I was kind of nervous. And we're sitting around the, the office at one of the, uh, the uh, cross-company meetings. Like every company does their big, their com big company meeting. And uh, I'm sitting there going, well, I wonder if I have a job. I wonder what the big announcement's going to be today. And the um, the CEO at the time, was it Mark Duffel? I can't remember, said, uh, yes, and we're all going to be building this new ICE 3 thing on, on uh, you know, all the stuff I was doing. And everybody around the table said, hey, congratulations, Bart. Why didn't you tell me? And I said, I didn't know. <laughs> you know, so uh, 
it was it was just kind of a funny day. It was kind of a funny day. But then you know, cranking uh, out uh, the early days of the blending of some E4SE stuff, some clientele stuff, a lot of Vantage stuff, because Vantage had a ton of functionality, um, and um, you know E10, E9 at the time. Um, and then the early days of what are we going to make E10? Um, there was a while there we were trying to do a, a kind of a transpiler. Um, so you'd, we were writing the 4GL, we were writing E9, and we were taking it and passing it through the sausage grinder that you probably know and love. A lot of people have gone through that sausage grinder thing. And um, spitting out, you know, C sharp and SQL. And um, it was actually a fun time. We were talking about possibly doing that as a, if we could get that engine working, uh, instead of doing a one-time cutover, maybe we can do a transpile and do both product lines in parallel. We were playing around with different ideas back then. Uh, that that luckily we reduced scope down to let's just do a cutover one day and we'll make E10 kind of thing. Uh, but we were talking about in parallel. In fact, um, what's that uh, E? Uh, what's the the data DLL? The data nine one zero one zero zero DLL. Oh yeah, yeah. E nine. Where that came from is right, we were yeah. thinking we were going to do a transpile to, to 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 build nine one, and in four GL and in .NET at the same time. That's where that name came from. So funny anecdote. Got it. Um, that makes sense. And then it just kind of got stuck there. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, I think I'm glad that it was it was a one-time code over yeah, than, than anything that else. Crazy. Um, that, yeah. I did that. Uh, you guys released uh, uh, some kind of web tool where you could put in 4GL and you hit a button <clears> and it, it did the whole thing. That was thing the sausage grinder. Some, yeah. some quasi We wrapped, we wrapped an app service over right, the top right, of that. Right. And we used it, yeah. you used it for a little bit <clears throat> at the beginning because, you know, once you guys went to 10, yeah. the rest of us had to catch up, right? Because we were over in, in nine land. So we had to do a lot of like, well, let's learn C Sharp now and mm -hmm. let's learn Link. What is Link, you know? And so as part of that, we used that, that like you like you mentioned, that sausage grinder. And, and I remember used it for a little while. And then, you know, once you start picking up the link, the, the language, you start using it again and you're like, ooh, that doesn't. <laughs> That's not how I want. And, and to be fair, um, that sausage grinder was actually three stages. We had a prep stage where we prepped um, the 4GL because you had old includes and macros and stuff like that, right? Uh, and we'd need to flatten that out because C Sharp looked at that and said, what the heck's that? You know, this, I'm not, I'm not C++. I don't do macros. Um, you know, so we inline all that stuff and then we'd go ahead and, um, um, you know, pass it through the sausage grinder, which you probably saw. And then afterwards we had a sanitizing, we'd go through and sanitize and clean up that, um, uh, clean up the output. Um, so that was, that was fun. Um, and um, in that cleanup process, it was kind of interesting that we were able to then take a look at the results and say, okay, something didn't generate well. Um, it's kind of goofy. What's going on here? I'm not sure why it looks this way in C Sharp. This is a bug, you know, kind of thing. And we'd go and sit down with the gurus in 4GL, and there are a lot of good people. Um, that were really strong in 4GL and say, hey, what's going on here? And, you know, why is it doing this stuff? And they'd go look at the 4GL and what would be like 9.0, whatever the heck it was. Um, and they say, yeah, this is a bug in our code. And so the process of building 10 and generating from 9 into 10 was finding a bunch of 9x bugs. So that was kind of fun. That was kind of fun. So we were able to get that last 9x release that we did very stable overall because of the parallel c sharp effort that was going on so it was kind of cute um talk about unit testing or automated testing and it was it was kind of fun project for doing that kind of stuff so anyways yeah that sounds that that was uh, a was. heck of an undertaking it was. Uh, i mean you know i was obviously i wasn't involved on it then and i was definitely uh, on the customer side, but I could see the, the gears turning and I could see the and releases coming. A lot of good so, people, a lot of good people. Um, um, and, you know, I, I was very blessed um, to, you know, work with a lot of those people and most of them were very shy. They didn't like getting out of their, their little um, shell. And so I was, you know, when you guys came along in the Epi user world, um, I was able to, you know, show a lot of their efforts and represent that. So that was, that was always a really, um, you know, nice time to be able to 
you know, show these people's skill sets, try to drag them out into front of customers because you guys don't bite that much. Um, and uh, try to get right. them to go ahead and uh, show off some of their work. Um, you know, um, we were just chatting before we started the recording, you know, rest uh, and my rest novel that I still get pings on, on, on uh, Epi users and stuff. Um, you know, that was some really smart people doing some great work, but, you know, I was acting as P, uh, product owner over that. And uh, I kept on answering the same damn beta questions over and over and over again. It was like my email was just 80%, you know, um, you know, rest questions. And they weren't all from you and Jose or you and uh, Hasso, excuse me. Um, and so I finally was after a week in, in San Diego meeting with Eric, I was flying back and on the plane. I'm just, I'm going to bang this damn thing out because I'm so sick and tired of answering the same darn questions. And when I landed, I hit upload and then that rest novel still there. So that was, that was just me ranting. So. Yeah, it is. And it's crazy because it still has a lot of activity. Like you said, you, you get pings on it all the time. I get pings on it all the time. People go through and, and read it and view it. I mean, that thing has been out there. That thing has over 30,000 individual views and, and over 200 replies. The biggest work I've ever made. But... <laughs> so, yeah, I think I think it's a, it's a pretty nice piece of work. And, and the nice thing is that, it, you know, it's still relevant today, even though Epicor has moved on to, to REST v2 and things like that. The, the core concepts that you outline on that novel and things like that are still fully applicable, um, you know, and now Epicor has dropped the WCF and it's moved fully to REST, which is something that I'm super excited about and, 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 and fully on board yeah, with. Yeah, that was, that, was, um, that was discussed. We but, were talking you know, about GRPC a, there for a good. while. Uh, and I know we did some POCs on some different models there, um, but the serialization, um, uh, distributed systems, um, the, you know, interop, um, which is, you know, the point of REST. And I'm, I'm really big in the REST world now. Um, with um, you know Hadios mm -hmm. and maturity model and stuff, um, in in my new world, um, so it's something that's very relevant to me and very um, you know very close to my heart. Uh, but the rest work was something that we really needed. Um, I'm a big distributed person, as distributed systems person. Um, that's my background. I never saw a client server system until I was ten years into my career. I started with distributed robotics oh, wow. and data acquisition systems, uh, you know, um, VMS, uh, Unix, uh, Windows in the early days, Alpha NT, um, you know, back in the day. So a lot of different uh, data acquisition controlling these robotic systems, these data, these chemical analyzers, doing analysis, number crunching, submitting it to, you know, Oracle DB and stuff like that. Uh, but a lot of different technologies, a lot of different, a lot of different um, operating systems and stuff, uh, but very distributed around and then you know, the next system was I went into developer tools for a while, early version control, PVCS, did the porting off of uh, um, off of Windows to other platforms of PVCS. That was fun for a year. Um, big consulting firm. I show up. We're going to teach you how to do, you know, enterprise computing. And it was this client server system. I'm like, what is this? Uh, you know, a, a, a front end against the database, huh? You know, we're what about? risk and scale and everything else and it was just it was just interesting um so rest plays to my heart in that regards um as well as you know web hooks or functions you know we went into the function stuff uh so it, it was it was interesting to watch my early training and you know coming out of school and learning this newfangled you know internet thing and you know mosaic browser 0.7 which was my first browser um, you know, the early days of that kind of stuff. And then you know, distributed just how you build things. How else are you going to scale and deal with the internet and, and all, um, you know, distributed systems. And, and so many people are just used to simple, you know, forms over data kind of mindset um, that's gotten us a long way. And there's nothing wrong with that for simplified systems. <clears throat> but if you're building big systems, you got to think about a distributed system. You got to think about, you know, domain services, domain driven design, and you need to build you know, think about those kinds of things. Um, so it was just very interesting that, you know, along comes rest and this kind of took off. It was, it was great. And the, the young lady, and you know her well, uh, in charge of the rest stuff, you know, she was brilliant on that. Um, made, and, and the Restafarians that are out there that are criticizing the shape of the, of the rest stuff, they're right, but we needed something and we couldn't spend two years going dark. And so she made the right trade-offs 
to go ahead and get it to market because you had to um, and nothing but uh, kudos to her for pushing that across the finish line. Um, but, you know, we needed to start down that path. And I believe they were talking about doing some improvements on that and doing some real, um, you know, gets should be gets, you know, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Did they? And they fixed that. Yeah. The, the, yeah so they did. Yeah. So REST v2 uh, has fixed a lot of those things. So your get by IDs are no longer a post. It is now an actual get. Uh, they still have the deprecated yeah. method there, which I appreciate oh, yeah. for all my legacy. Right. But they did they did go uh, above and beyond there and they made a bunch of changes to that. They also incorporated multi-company more yeah. directly into the REST interface. Simpler. Right. You had you used to have to have. Oh, yeah. That, that happened just before I left. Now yeah. it's just yeah. part yeah. of the that, URL. That helped us a lot in the uh, yep. function yep. stuff. Yeah. URL signature. Yeah. It's so much better uh they they introduce scope they introduce api keys so they are they are you know leaps and bounds ahead of where the rest v1 was but it just you know that baby kind of grew up now into into a very nice looking young man kind of thing and it's just you should, it's, you, it's, you should you're being nice very sexist where, there you, you know, probably should be a young gone. lady because of the 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 guru that was in charge of that you should call it a, a <laughs> nice that young lady grew that into a very true. beautiful um, woman true. so there you go that is that is accurate yes yes uh, so now, you know, now it's just uh, the possibilities are endless. They just integrated with this new external platform yeah. called Workato. Uh, I think yeah. you you heard about that on the last episode, um, and it's all it's all REST based. I mean, I dropped it in and gave it a URL, and 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 it's working, right? And and that is the beauty the beauty of REST. So, so thank you for you know kind of championing that originally and and getting it that way because I, right before you started working on the REST uh, as a REST owner, I started doing things like wrapping the WCF <laughs> into REST endpoints. For myself, right? Because I remember I was trying to work on that yeah, Alexa I that. project that I, I showed that. you, the Alexa skills or whatever. And I pinged you, and I was like, "Oh, look what I look what I did!" And you're like, "Oh, rest is coming. Hold on, let me show you some stuff." And so we we talked about what was you know what was potentially coming down the road and things like that, and it got me super excited. But at the beginning, you know, the customers we were we were kind of starting to clamor for that the whole REST interface because the rest of the world was there already for the most part, you know, all your devices, all your yep. cloud services, they all had REST endpoints and hooks. And at the time, Epicoid was still very WCF, you know, heavy and there was no REST endpoints. So that was uh, that was a huge leap, I think. And that's, a, that's an interesting platform. conversation just about the whole, um, do you own this domain and everything fits inside of the box or are you a good citizen within the ecosystem of a business and that's one of the reasons i left epicor was i wanted to get more hands-on um on actually delivering and i deal with you know internal delivery every day i have 300 plus servers that you know i go through and have to babysit all day long um and i wanted to get that more hands-on stuff as opposed to kind of being at arm's length so i, I am enjoying that more hands-on aspect of uh um you know the trade-offs of you know do i go to kubernetes and containers in the cloud uh do i use apps or azure app services and functions um you know we have both <laughs> two different product lines i'm on um and um wow. they're great i mean kubernetes is fantastic technology um, but I'm still babysitting operating systems. It's a hell of a lot better than a VM or raw metal, but I'm still babysitting operating systems. Um, you know, when something breaks and, you know, solar winds or whatever the heck, you know, pops, you know, it's you're all hands on deck fixing that stuff. I'm over in functions and, and app services on another product line and went, oh, that's nice. And went back to, you know, went back to work. Um, so there's there's interesting trade-offs you can get into about what's appropriate for you know what your business need is, and I'm I'm enjoying that more hands-on aspect of of that. Um, definitely enjoying the app services and the functions aspect. Um, no operating systems in the cloud is kind of one of my jokingly mantras, um, and it it works really really well. Um, I don't have well, we have a team that does nothing but patching all day long. There's an entire team we pay to install KB articles and all the gazillions of servers we have, wow. um, but not on the app services and functions. There's nothing there. Microsoft does that. We rent that. Now, am I am I hard coding that right. a little bit to Microsoft? Sort of. I can I can take an IIS, I can take a, an IIS app and make it an app service. I can take an app service and make it an IIS instance and put it inside of a container if I needed to. So we're not really locked in. Uh, you got to be smart about that. Functions a little bit more difficult, but not horribly. Um, 
but uh, yeah, it's, it's been an interesting journey of, of that hands-on kind of aspect and pretty quick turnarounds. Um, so anyways. And is that where you see the industry going? Like, you know, that recently there was a, a bunch of rumors that, that Epicor was going to force everyone to go to, to cloud services and things like that. And they've, they've dispelled oh, that Epicor? for now. Yeah, that was, and I know you don't have I any. I saw that and I kind of laughed. Right, right, right. I was like, yeah, really? I know you don't have any. You want to piss off 80% of your yeah, customer yeah, yeah. base? Epicor's <laughs> smarter than that. Uh, yeah. They were back then and they are now. Exactly. So. Um, but do you see the industry in general heading in that direction where everything is kind of going away from metal and just going straight to services and and and, and middle software and things like that? Is that is, I don't is that think we're going to go to one the trend? target in, in goal. I think that's the big thing. I don't see a single destination here. I really don't. When you get into... Um, you're not going to have general purpose. Um, you know, one thing does everything. I think you're going to get into more specialized areas. Um, do do your staff? I know your con condolences. You're now a manager. I heard. Um, um, <laughs> Thank you. Is your team have every skill across the entire breadth, or do you have specialists in certain things? Um, our industry is specialized. The people that think that you can hire any generalist off the street and put them into a, an IT role and have them do it is just naive. Um, and I think the same thing about these kinds of services that we host or rent, um, whether we're, and, and, and it comes down to the business. I mean, that's what, as us geeks, we forget about the fact that this is a business decision. Am I going to pay for staff that knows how to keep a server up and running? Um, am I going to pay for staff that knows how to monitor these instances in my data center because I can make it more efficient because I have staff and I'm going to invest that money in that? Um, you know, that's a business decision. That's not because I like this technology or that technology. And a lot of times in industry, IT, we kind of forget that. We get, fall in love and we have a religion towards the technology and it, everything, you know, all I know is Kubernetes, so everything has to be Kubernetes or all I know is X. Um, and that's just a, that's something that um, the industry needs to wake up about, quite honestly, and it needs to, to grow and mature. Um, as you know, I just saw my, you guys changed the screen layout here, so I apologize. I just saw more of my construction. <laughs> um, yeah, no, the whole house is going through a remodel, by the way kitchen gutted due to a dishwasher leak and all new windows going in. And of course we have to repaint the whole house now that we redid the kitchen. So that's been, that's been my uh, COVID project. Um, yeah. Um, but anyways, um, yeah, I think that's just an interesting thing that uh, so many people fall in love with a technology as opposed to saying, this is my business, business domain. This is my problem. This is my available staff or how I can approach the problem and the trade-offs. Um, and, you know, dealing with my, my dot bomb experience in the late nineties, you know, back then a lot of the, the dot bombs, it was like, I'm going to go buy, you know, Solaris and I'm going to go buy a BEA. I'm going to go buy Oracle. I'm out 250, you know, thousand dollars before I even write a line of code uh, because that's what you have to have to do anything. Oh, no, no. If there's a, other options and they just that naivete from an architecture standpoint from a from a um, um, product ownership product management kind of stuff um, that disappoints me it disappoints me so yeah I tend to agree I always have the approach of you know right right tool for the right job and just because you only know C sharp doesn't mean that you have to yeah. use C sharp for everything right and um, you know that was something that that kind of you know uh, my has come as a, as a shock for some people that are like, oh, you know, you guys do Angular and you guys do C Sharp and you guys do PHP and you guys do this and that and the other in, in, in different environments. I was like, yes, we do all those things, not individually, but, you know, each person does their own thing based on what they know and what the skill set they have. You know, like you said, some of my staff can do Angular, some of my staff cannot. That's fine, right? But we don't tie ourselves to a specific, you know, set of frameworks or languages just because that's all that we have available in that corner of the world. And that's the only thing we're going to do no matter what, right? That you have to be able to evolve and you have to be able to say, hey, listen, this doesn't work for that. We need to do a slightly different approach here. And um, and that works better. And you're right. People, you know, the, the when you're hiring people out there, they start looking for those unicorns that can do it all. And, and that's not really yeah. realistic, right? You cannot, you know, there are a handful of people out there that can do 
almost everything. Um, but yeah, it also, it also can, makes or you can't afford them. The whole, you, you can't know, afford them. Exactly. It'd be more realistic. Or you can't. Well, not only that, but you know the whole concept of jack of all trades, master yeah. of none, right? If you can do everything, then <clears throat> then can you really do everything a hundred percent? And now right. take that. Right. You're just ta- and, so far. You've talked about the coding. Now start talking about the infrastructure, right. about the DevOps, about the, um, and that's something that's very passionate to me is you know infrastructure as code. Uh, immutable infrastructure. Um, you know, those are some things that we were starting to really push on heavily before I left. Um, you know, the the, the you know the the three day uh, Epicor SaaS upgrades uh, kind of thing, driving me crazy. And we did a lot of cool tech around um, bringing improvements to that. Um, so that stand up the new data center next to the other one. You know, test everything out, um, and you know flip the switch on the DNS to point to the new servers, and if all heck breaks loose, point to the old one. Um, if it works, you know, you run it for a certain time, certain point of time, that old data center, it's in Azure, it's rented VMs, delete it, you know? And that kind of mindset of always forward-moving architecture, always building the entire data center, you know, that's a mindset that I'm using now as well, a lot more hands-on than I did before. Had some really sharp people working on that for me at Epicor. Um, and um, one ac- anecdote along that lines is um, we were investigating some some Azure technology, and uh, we were doing a scale test, and we th- we said, hey, yeah, good partnership with Microsoft as always. We'll test out this new tech while we're doing our scale test to see if it performs, because they were coming out some new new stuff in Azure SQL, and let's let's give it a shot at it and see if it works. <clears throat> so we had our God, what, 200 boxes stood up, this, this incredible, incredible, um, you know, collection of servers and stuff to run all this stuff. We had it all up and running. We were running our tests, and they come in on, you know, day four or something of the of the two-week thing. I can't remember what it was. Um, and they say, okay, we're ready. You, you've run all your other tests. Can you run this Azure SQL thing for us now? Sure, we're ready. What's, what's the connection string, whatever? They said, you know, here, wait, you're in Central? We deployed everything in in U.S. East, you know, um, oh, no. <laughs> and you know how big of an instance do you, uh, we got like 221 boxes. I don't remember what it was. I'm making that up. Um, and, and the guy in charge of it's like, no problem. Makes one parameter change, clicks the button. Let's go do lunch. Come back from lunch, and all the 221 boxes were stood up in the East. That is, you know, infrastructure as code. An entire data center via script. Um, and delete the old one because you're done with it and send it back to Microsoft. You know, that kind of mindset is where we're going to see efficiencies in this industry. That's the kind of stuff that we need to be able to do. I need to pilot something. I'm going to script it up, you know, and, and manage it. Now, the other interesting thing about this in my new life is it's healthcare related, a lot more control over compliance and, and stuff that I'm that I had to deal with hands-on at Epicor, um, and it's really interesting that now I can go ahead and say, you know, I have a PR on deploying a new server. I have a PR for making a change to a server from a code perspective. I can check that code in that happens to be make this SKU change on a bigger box, more CPUs, or a SKU ch- or a, um, a, a PR check-in to say, I'm opening a hole for this in the firewall for this. So it's very interesting that I have all the blame, you know, literally, you know, get blame on a code change. Yeah, yeah. I got get, get blame, blame yeah. on my data center now. It's really cool, uh, which... Which, yeah, that's pretty awesome. The fact that you can have DevOps and, and all that on, on yeah. a code now yeah. and, and just... yeah. Just look at it, and that's that's pretty amazing. I actually just last week we, we so we are we're in Azure, at, at my my day my daytime job we're on Azure, uh, but we're on Azure you know yeah. renting VMs and spinning up our own servers. But we're not we're not quite yet yeah. you know serverless. Um, a Epicor yeah. doesn't quite support that in, in on prem and 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 other issues there. But one of the things that we're doing we're doing replication, and so we're doing database replication, and we decided hey we're going to replicate. Let's go ahead and replicate to a serverless Azure SQL instance. And so we did that 
I don't know, maybe, you know, six or eight months ago. It's been working flawlessly, no problem, you know, no issues, great. Um, then we decided to bring in Power BI. And so we brought on Power BI and we put Power BI and hooked it onto our replication instance, right? Um, and everything's working fine. Then my Power BI user tells me at one more live data. Now, don't get me into the argument that this is a BI system and you don't need live data, but let's just go with the fact that they wanted liver data. So we decided to do Power BI refreshes every two hours. And so I had deployed my, my Azure replication uh, into my serverless SQL with the bare minimum specs that I could put. It, it was, you know, a tiny little box. It had two cores, no RAM and a couple hundred gigs of hard drive space. And that was working perfectly fine for our simple replication system. But when I started pulling in a uh, hundred plus gigs of data every two hours on Power BI to refresh my data set, that CPU pegged, the memory pegged. It was just unusable. Yep. It was causing delays all over. The, I mean, it was causing a nightmare, right? We were running reports. The reports were taking ages and I would go into the, the portal that azure.com and look at the database instance and I could see CPU 100%, you know, uh, IOPS 100%, all these things. And I was like, oh, how am I going to fix this? What am I doing? You know, I'm used to like yeah. the server oh. mentality, right? So I was like, well, yeah. I'm going to have to, you know, I'm going to have to go log into the server and, and, and I don't know, I guess I can add more RAM to the VM instance, but then I got to reboot and that's not going to work, you know? So I'm freaking out a little bit. And then I realized, wait, this is a serverless instance. So I literally just went into the server, went to the options and I went upgrade to the next level up, which doubles my CPU, double my RAM, double my IOPS, hit okay. And in 15 seconds, I actually was watching the, the CPU go from 100% to 10% and stayed there, right? And now everything is doing what we need, right? And it was just, it was that moment that it kind of clicked in my head that this is really, like you said, you know, <clears throat> infrastructure as code. I could change my hardware without having to change any actual hardware and it did not have any downtime. It actually fixed my problem in the middle of the day Without any and, and that and plays it, it too, was, by the way, kind too, of mind blowing. Um, you know, you, I, I mentioned the compliance and the audit trail aspect, uh, but also you get into the governance from the cost angle. Um, um, I've done one in, I've done one code review in my life with my CFO, not at Epicor. This is before Epicor, um, but code reviews in front of CFOs are not fun. <laughs> um, but thinking about now, why are we changing? The, um, the data center and what are we costing on stuff is a very interesting conversation. Um, another thing I really love about the cloud is I have heard that once in a while there are subsystems within Epicor that are underperforming on performance. Um, and uh, you may need extra CPUs or RAM to perform whatever function that you're talking about here and you smile. And I know I've, I remember these stories many a time. Um, the wonderful thing about cloud is that you're changing that whole struggle about, you know, Epicor needs to go ahead and, and build a new feature for this particular customer so we can make a sale, to um, now in the cloud, you have a scenario where it's, it's costing us as a SaaS company that this poor performing code um, is costing us X dollars a month. So this underperforming code means we need to go up to that next level, you know, as I like to jokingly call it, slide the slider on increasing the um, increasing the uh, the skew and watch your credit card melt. Um, yeah, so that kind of sliding the slider to do that stuff, um, but that, that that ability now that you have to to tie that back to poor code. So now you're changing the conversation with your business folks and you've written bad code or you've inherited bad code and you just are bitching that you want it to be better as an engineer, as, an, as, a, as a coder, as a programmer. You, this is not correct and we can do this better and more efficiently. Business looks at that and says, okay, Jose, I'm paying you, you know, what, probably $10, $20 an hour. Um, um, how long would it take you to go fix that? How, how much is going to cost me of your time to go fix that versus other issues versus, you know, paying for a thousand dollars for a new piece of hardware or an improved hardware. That's a math equation. You're putting numbers in front of a business leader now to make a business decision, a cost perspective of it's going to cost us X dollars to fix it. It's going to cost us X dollars to keep on limping it along and paying for extra hardware. You can put that dollar sign in front of business leaders and they get that. 
And so as the engineer, it's it's helped me to go ahead and say, hey, this is this is crappy code and this is the cost just on main on running it, let alone the cost of um, you know, trying to maintain and evolve it and, and do time to market on improvements and stuff, additional features. There's that whole area as well to kind of talk about. But it really puts the conversation about better quality into a cost perspective. And it also kind of kicks me in the butt and says, you know, Bart, you're bitching about this and it's not as good as it could be. But in the grand scheme of things, it's costing us $15 a month and I really don't care. You know? So, yeah, it becomes a cost benefit yeah, analysis. It's really easy point, ROI. Right? So th those are the kinds of things as I move into more, you know, art, as, as I mentor others moving into more architectural roles to start thinking about that kind of stuff. You start thinking about the cost benefits of things as opposed to just the pure right way of doing things. That's hard in our industry. Um, and we're still figuring out how to do um, software development. I mean, we're a young, young science. Um, uh, my dad uh, did, you know, big civil projects. And, you know, when you start talking to him about building things, it's, you know, bridges and, and you know, a, a single piece of metal that's the new SFO terminal or something like that. You know, little pieces of metal to him were, you know, one foot wide, eight foot tall, and 40 foot long. Um, and that was a little piece of metal for him. Um, when you start dealing with stuff like that, I mean, they've been building Roman roads, Egyptian pyramids, you know, aqueducts for thousands of years. We're still in this software industry. We're still in our diapers. We're still, I, I don't even know if we're waddling, oh, yeah. uh, you know, waddling around um, as, uh, as toddlers yet. Um, so, you know, we're still trying to figure this stuff out and you got to stop and, you know, put that perspective on as, as, as much as you get arrogant or get invested in a in a religion about something you got to stop and breathe and say you know this is this is not that important you know we're still figuring this stuff out plus one from yesterday is one of the things i like to say is we're going to be in a continual improvement mode so anyways yeah no i agree and that that kind of said you know that kind of segues back into you know like the different architectural changes and things that that happen in the software itself like you know going yeah. back to the epic or thing that you know they're going away from custom code they're going away from all that stuff they're going to code less or or or, or you know drag and drop uh customizations and things like that and and it's difficult for for us old timers <laughs> quote unquote that that have been doing custom code you know we have been doing custom code for for yeah. nearly 20 years and all of a sudden they're taking my toy away right and you and you want to fight that you want to fight that so hard but then you have to stand and think about the cost benefit analysis of you know, your battles what does it mean when i have all this pile of custom code Code. I have this pile of custom code that now I have to babysit and carry through all the way through on every upgrade yep. and every time it breaks, I have to spend time and money and, and things like that. Or I can just let the code go, go to a codeless or, or, yep. or, 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 or some kind of other architectural environment that allows me to step away from babysitting that piece of code and do something perhaps more important. And that, that took quite a while for, for, for me to grasp, and I, I can imagine the rest of the industry feels that way too. Uh, you know, giving up some of that control and allowing some of these, these new technologies to take hold, it's, it's definitely um, a difficult task, but something that we should all be uh, moving nice. in the right direction, I think. Anything else? Otherwise you're <sighs> done with me? I think we got 50 minutes out of oh, you, wow. and I think that, you know, I don't, I can't afford it anymore, so. <laughs> yeah, you probably, you get, you probably got a few more so, uh, cycles to, to get some other higher level of whatever you're posting this on, so anyways. Oh, yeah, no, we're good. Thank you so much, Bart, for taking the time. Uh, you know, we miss you in the community. We really appreciate all you did for us and the Epicor world, and, and you know, you were instrumental in getting the Epicor employees to participate in the forum and that has made a huge difference. I still all the time, you know, message somebody on the forum directly or post something and tag somebody directly at Epicor and they're engaged and they respond and that a lot of that had to do with you and Eric, um, who we also miss greatly. So thank you so much for all you've done for it's, the community. It's the one, and, and hopefully, it's the, you know, we'll, I mean, a lot of good people, I still have friends there and stuff, but the one thing I yeah. do miss about the job is dealing with folks like you and dealing with the customer. That was the best part of the day. Uh, I'm, I'm a very much an open source and, um, you know, crowd community kind of person in, in my thinking. And, and that was the, the, the one thing to walk away from that was annoying uh, because I miss you guys, so. Yeah, we miss you too, and we'll keep in touch. We'll bring you back in a little bit. Maybe you can give us some 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 of the new cool features you're working Play, on. Playing around we'll some cool things stuff, in Azure but... in preview mode right now that I'm under NDA, yeah. but uh, you know maybe we can well, talk I'll about see. that when it comes public in a year or so. So. 
There you go. Sounds great. Thank you, Bart. Appreciate you. Take care, All right. Hopefully you guys enjoy that conversation as much as I did. It was great to hear from Bart and know that he's doing well and enjoying his work. Um, and it was nice to hear some of the history there from, you know, the early days of Epicor all the way through the Epicor 9 to 10 conversion and so on. Um, I think that's it for us today. If you have any suggestions for the podcast or any uh, guests you'd like us to try and get, uh, send us an email directly at podcasts at, at epiusers.help um, or reply on the post that we're going to share along with this episode. Um, next time I'll be back with my regular co-host Brian or maybe a different co-host. Um, in the meantime, I hope you all have a great week. See you next time.